0: around. I know you want to, Irving, but I'd never keep you out of it. That'd be the problem. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us to keep our eyes set on you. Help us to worship you in, in everything that we are. And, and Lord, as we hear the message, Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship you with our minds. Um, help us to, to see in your word a mirror where we can um, see ourselves and, and grow closer to you Lord, where we can we can uh, find ways to to become deeper and, and and closer in jesus name amen all right we are working our way through nehemiah um, and and there 's a little bit of background for this and i uh, i 'm going to jump into that in a second i'm gonna, uh, I want to talk about something else first um, i I turned What, 39? It can't be that. I'm pretty sure it's 25. My counting's not very good. It did? Oh, and cakes never lie. (laughs) Almost 40. How old are you, (laughs) Lori? I'm just curious. Um, (laughs) Almost 40. (laughs) I I said it more than once here. Only young once, but you can be immature forever. Um, My wife and I were sitting up um, last night. Uh, talking and, and um, we ended up talking about about how our lives have changed over the over the years I and mean, we've been married for 17 years, is it 17? It'll be 17. I got that number right. That's fantastic. I counted that one, um, and they've been so wonderful. It's been hard to pay attention to counting, um, um, but how our lives have changed and and um, how how God has worked through us and the different places we've been, and um, I the last year. Um, I, I preached a sermon last year, sometime, where I talked about um, a certain aspect of spiritual growth, and it, it really convicted me. And I, am not very good at it, right? But I, I, uh, I, the the goal I set last year was to was to grow, but to grow in a way that like, um, I would represent Jesus very well to my family. Does that make sense? Like, I, I wanted to be like the kind of a person that, you know, when my kids grow up and they talk about, you know, God. They got a good image of, like, how God loves them and how he cares for them through their relationship with me. Does that make sense? Um, and and it's, it's something that um, I've prayed a lot about and I've worked at. And as I was, I was talking to my wife, um, I, I realized that in the past I've taken two different tacks in, in trying to grow spiritually. Like, there are times where I'll study really hard and think that'll help me. And there are times where I won't study and pray, but I'll find things to do and i 'll try really hard and and there are times where where I just you know stop paying attention and do what I want i don 't know if that makes sense, but like in in Jeremiah, as we were talking about it last night, I realized that in Jeremiah we're given kind of a model and it's kind of a model that that um, i 've seen in myself in the last year, and I want to share a little bit like as we go through it um, a little bit of background i 'm not going to spend an hour on background. did I lose my weird um, all right so Nehemiah takes place. It's a historic book. It takes place after the exile. So you have like Israel and their long history. And eventually they rebel against God so much that he says, okay, folks, you're out of here. Right? And he kicks them out of the Holy Land and they get taken away as captives. And they're gone for 70 years as captives in Babylon, which is like terrible for them. Their, Their capital city and the temple and everything get burned down. Um, and, and the land remains vacant for 70 years until God brings them back. Um, and, and this takes place a few years after they've returned. Um, in the first chapter, we see where Nehemiah, who's the king's cupbearer, right, and it was his job to um, like basically test the king's drinks before he drank them. So, like, if they were poisoned, Nehemiah would die. It kind of makes sense. And so the cupbearer was usually very trusted and really close with the king because you wouldn't want a complete stranger doing that for you. You want somebody who you know isn't going to slip poison in your drink as he's handing it to you. Um, and, and so um, Nehemiah meets a relative of his who's come from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah assumes that since they've returned to to the city after they've gotten out of exile, that everything is great. And um, he asked him, well, how's the city? And, you know, uh, um, his, his, his brother says, well, not very good. The walls are torn down. The um, gates are burned. And the people are, like, basically living in turmoil. And the reason that was, if you didn't have a wall, I mean, this doesn't happen in Big Sandy, right? Because you don't even have to lock your doors here. Everybody's got guns so nobody breaks into people's houses. Um, but in most places, like in the real world, less terrific world you have to lock your door because people will come in and take your things if you don't right um and and so in in jerusalem without walls they would have been raided regularly they would have um they would have had a lot of problems associated with not having any security the other thing that comes with that is for jews the gates of the city right were symbolic and they had a specific function you would go to the gates for court So if you had disagreements, right, they were tried at the gates. If you wanted to go and hang out and meet the guys, um, you would go to the gates, right? Here we go to, I don't know, what, perhaps? (laughs) Wherever it is we go. But like then, you would go to the city gates and people would gather and you would associate. And that was, like the gates were a huge deal. And not having gates was humiliating, but it was also dangerous. And so when Nehemiah hears, oh, they don't have gates... Um, he, he weeps and he starts praying. Um, and we find out at the beginning of this book that he's prayed for quite a while and he decides to take action. Um, and, and he's in a unique position to do that because the king is very close with him and trusts him. Um, one more bit of background um, as we dive into this. The book before Nehemiah is a book called Ezra. Ezra was a fellow who came before Nehemiah. And went to the city and rebuilt the temple or started the rebuilding of the temple and as he started the rebuilding of the temple he also tried to rebuild the walls well some of the neighbors started looking and said well wait a minute if they rebuild the walls that's not good for us because we lose the piggy bank we raid right like if my kids ever figure out that if I you know need a cup of coffee I visit their piggy bank like the rules gonna change right? (laughs) I don't want that I I don't really do that often Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they steal from me to fill that piggy bank, okay? <laughs> um so <laughs> We'll discuss that later. <laughs> um <laughs> So Ezra started to rebuild the walls, the neighbors found out, and they wrote a letter to the king of Persia saying, hey, you know what, those Jewish people, they're jerks, the moment they have walls, they're going to fight a rebellion, and because we love you, we'll go burn down the wall for you. And and the king said, well, I don't need these people rebelling, I, I don't really need that kind of trouble, and he agreed, all right, go knock down the walls. And so they went and they stopped the construction of the walls, um there's some who think they burned the remnants, like that they made absolutely sure. The text doesn't say that specifically, so whether or not the walls are down from like the neighbors doing it or from um the uh from the, the conquest by Babylon it's not really certain. But Ezra had been there and he had started some of the rebuilding and the king had said no. Now there's a tricky part here, and watch this. I, I, I don't want to be confusing and I don't want to be long winded and everybody says too late. Um In Ezra, the letter um, that that was sent um, was sent to the king Artaxerxes, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who is also the king that Nehemiah is serving. Now, either Artaxerxes, in the beginning of his reign, said, nope, no wall, and was absolutely certain about it and definitive and allowed the wall to be destroyed, or there are some people who think that Artaxerxes may have been a second name for an earlier king. I, I don't want to get into that, okay? I'm going to go with the idea that it was earlier in the rain because um, it makes Nehemiah's story a little more dangerous. Got it? Um, And the reason it's a little more dangerous is because like, he's approaching the king that had previously stopped the building of the walls. Um, Anyway, we'll dive right into that. Nehemiah has been praying. He's prayed devoutly. And in the month of Nisan, this is four months later, Nehemiah has been praying about this for four months Um, That is a long time, isn't it? Um, Specifically to be praying about one thing over and over again and and praying through um, everything that's going on. And we're going to find out some of the why here in a second. In the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, which, like I said, um, the book of Ezra attaches Artaxerxes' name to the, hey, don't build the wall, you're done. So many years later, um, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it, to, gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. I'm going to hit pause there. When wine was before him, gosh, how do I explain this? Um, Persian kings in history have a reputation for drinking parties, right? They're like Florida State. Um, <laughs> they, people, I mean, they, they, were, they were champions at getting drunk as a group. Okay, and so like this is at a party, probably in the month of Nisan, which, if you know a little bit about the Persians, is a big deal. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, But so he brings wine to him. He's at a festival, like at this big banquet, and he gave it to the king and he allows himself to look downcast. Now, for a guy to be kind of depressed looking at a party is going to draw attention, right? Nehemiah had not tried to approach the king before. For Nehemiah to say, hey, king, I got a problem I need you to solve, in the Persian world, not going to work, right? It actually could get Nehemiah's head cut off. I mean, no joke. Um, If you read the book of, I think it's Esther, Esther approaches the king, um, king of Persia, and she approaches him with a banquet. And she kind of risks her life doing it because if you approach the king without permission, he would execute you. Like you couldn't just go to the king and be like, hey... You know, I, I'm here to talk to you. Nope. He called you. You didn't call him. Got it? Um, and so the fact that he's there, the fact that he's approaching, he's kind of risking his life. But he doesn't ask. He looks sad. He allows himself to look distressed. And the king responds. The king said to me, what is your, uh, why is your face sad? By the way, sad, um, the word actually means bad or like, like evil. Um, but it's the way it's used here. It kind of means like, um, it means downtrodden, right? Like why, why do you look like, like you've got something bad troubling you, um, seeing you are not sick. So it says, Hey, you're not sick. Why are you sad? By the way, if the guy who drinks your wine to see if you're getting poisoned looks upset, (laughs) you want to have a conversation with him, right? Also, if he looks sick, that's important, right? (laughs) Um, cause I, you know, if he's poisoned, you're poisoned. Um, so he says, and you know, it's also probably the case that they're friends and he's concerned, right? He says, look, why are you upset? Um, you know, you're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Um, then I was very much afraid. Now there's a couple reasons. He's very much afraid. First off, if the King thinks that Nehemiah is involved in a plot, Nehemiah's situation changes dramatically, right, in a very bad way. Um, The other way that I would argue this could be taken is, um, I remember when I was in high school, there was a girl who sat behind me in history class who's not nearly as pretty as my wife, um, and I wanted to ask her out on a date. Um, And I spent weeks building up and waiting for the right moment and planning and everything else, and then I asked her out, and it didn't go very well. But there's this moment, every man in the room is going to understand this, where you have to make this, all right, I'm going to do this now, right? Where you're taking this, like, step. And, and he is taking a step where he's been praying for four months about this, and he's about to ask something first off that could get him killed. Kind of scary. But he's also saying, all right, I've been praying. I think this is what God wants me to do. Let's do it. And it's kind of the moment, Right. And so Nehemiah gets a little nervous and his immediate response to nervousness or fear then um, I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, well, he starts talking. Uh Oh, um, I just lost it. Uh, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Um, so he responds. He's a little nervous, and his response is not to say, "I want to rebuild the city that I came from." Right? That's not his response. Instead, he sort of works his way around it. He doesn't mention the city of, of Jerusalem, right? Because if he mentions the city of Jerusalem, the first thing the king's probably going to say is, "Hey, wait a minute! Didn't I, didn't I order the burning of those gates? Like didn't I?" He says, "Hey, why wouldn't I be sad? My hometown is wrecked." You know, I have a good reason to be sad. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting here is Artaxerxes was from a different lineage of kings than most of the kings of Persia. Persian kings did a very gross thing with their when, when family members would die. You would put them out and you would allow birds to eat them, right, um, which is gross. Artaxerxes was from a line of kings that buried their dead. And so part of the reason he's saying this is because he knows the king will relate to the idea of family members and proper burial and respect, right? So he's playing on the king's sympathy. He's playing on his sensibility. Um, I don't think Nehemiah thought this up in the moment, right? Nehemiah has spent four months praying about this. He's been praying and praying and praying and praying. And all the while, he thinks, well, how would I do this? And how would I do that? In this particular case... Um, this is during a particular feast. Um, Persian kings in the month of Nisan would have this feast where it was customary for the king to be exceedingly generous. Um, think of like the godfather. Anybody saw the godfather? You know, and the guy comes to him. When, when did people ask for things from the godfather? The day of his daughter's wedding, right? Because he has to say yes. And so like, he approaches him on the day when it's his job to be generous and says... Oh, I'm so sad. My hometown is burned down. And the king knows his role because it's like customary. Um, He jumps in. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to God of heaven. He stops. Doesn't just jump into his plan because he's already figured out what he's going to ask, right? Um, And he prays. Now, he spent four months praying. It's a little like training. Does that make sense? If I wanted to go out and run a marathon tomorrow... I would not just go and do it. I would spend time preparing, right? I would get up and I would run every day. Um, He has prayed every day. He has trained himself to rely on God. And so when he faces the moment, he says, okay, God, this is it. Let's do this. Um, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Again, he does not say... Jerusalem doesn't mention the city. So, oh, send me to Judah, that I can go to that city and I can take care of it. Um, again, very careful and very like like cautious. Um, the next verse, and the king said to me, with the king sitting beside or with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Um, watch this. The queen is sitting beside him, which seems like a weird detail to just toss in at this point. But what Nehemiah has basically told us is um, that this is later. When Persian kings would have banquets, the queen never appeared with him. He would never be there with a queen or with one of his concubines. He would always go alone. So now the queen is with him, which means it's later in the day. So he's asked and he's walked away. And several hours later... The king approaches him and says, how long will you be gone and when when will you return? Um, It's like a tacit agreement. Hey, when are you coming back? Right? Um, Because they're friends. He says, well, you can do it, but when are you going to come back to me? You know, my friend, when are you going to be with me again? Um, Or my trusted advisor, the guy who eats stuff to make sure it's not poisonous. Um, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king... Let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. Now, this is a little like one day Abby is going to ask for a prom dress and i'm going to say no uh, when she eventually asks me enough and my wife tells me we have to do it i'll give in and she's going to say well hey you know what prom dress i also need a manicure and i'm going to need new shoes because apparently you need new shoes for everything i don't even get that um I, and there's going to be this list and so nehemiah gets permission and he turns around and he's like oh hey can i get some letters because I'm going to need permission to travel there. And I'm going to need wood to build the wall and a house for me to live in. And, like, he's got, he's been, he's been praying for four months. What else has he been doing? He's been planning. This guy is construction design in the works. I am not a contractor, but I assume before you jump into a job, you have an idea of what you're doing, right? There are contractors here, right? That's right, isn't it? Um, So he says, listen, I need this wood. I need these things. And the king says, all right, go ahead and do it. Here's everything you want. You can have lumber. You can have everything. And he says, not because I was good friends with the king, not because I asked the right way, not because I'm really clever, not because of anything else. It's because God was with me, right? Um, What Nehemiah has done is he's prayed for months. And when he reaches success, it is not a product of his effort. He acknowledges that it's a product of God's hand in his life Um, because we grow spiritually through prayer. And we recognize that growth is not a product of and successes we have are not a product of um, our work, but a product of God's intervention. And so when I do better, um, when I'm a better husband after 17 years than I was 10 years ago, um, and I know I seem pretty awesome now. Um, but when I do better, I look back and I say, this is because God has changed me in the last year. It's because this is how God has changed me um, because I've prayed. But the other thing that we do is we work, right? We plan, we put forth effort and Nehemiah has planned and he's put forth effort and he's invested and he's prayed. This is a culmination of all sorts of things. It is not an instant fix. I've talked to folks. I met a kid who said, well, he was in our treatment center, and he was crazy and unpleasant. And one day it was snowing out, and he went running out into the snow. And I looked at him, and I thought, man, I don't want to chase that guy. And I said, I'm going to stand here and see what he does because it's cold out, and he doesn't have a coat on. He'll come back. And we had a pond, and he went running out onto the pond, which was frozen. And I thought, oh, no, there's a lot of paperwork if you break through that ice. And then he came running back in and he stopped and looked at me and said, That proves God doesn't exist. I said, What do you what? <laughs> you mean that you didn't just die because you're stupid? And he said, No, because I prayed this morning that God wouldn't let me do stupid things anymore, and I just ran out on that ice. How dumb is that? <clears throat> okay. Because when we pray, God does not snap his fingers and make it right. We grow spiritually and we mature as he changes us in process. And we are part of that process. My young man had to decide not to run out on the ice like a moron. Anyway, um, keep going because I'm going to get bogged down. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now, mind you, in Ezra, we have a whole letter that was written by the governors of the province beyond the river. And that letter said, the Jews are jerks, don't let them build a wall, right? And so he shows up to these guys who don't like the Jewish people, and he's basically been appointed governor of Judah for a length of time. And so he arrives as, well, I'm going to my hometown to take care of my people. Here's the letter from the king that says I can do it, right? And they're kind of stuck because he planned for it. He knew these guys were enemies, and he planned for it. He didn't just dive in. Um, how else did he plan? Now, the king had sent with me, Officers of the army and horsemen. So he sent him a contingent of cavalry to make sure he made it alive. Um, Part of the reason is the roads were dangerous. And the other part is the roads were really dangerous to people that the governors didn't like. Right? And he probably wouldn't have made it. So he planned and he provided. He did not just jump. Right? Um, He had faith, but he made provision. I have faith that God will protect me, but I wear a seatbelt. Right? Right? because the seatbelt's part of how God protects me. Um, So he has these horsemen, but Sanballat, who's a name that we're going to hear over and over again, he's a bad guy. Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite, servant, heard this. Um, It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. It does not say they were angry about the wall. It says they were angry that he's seeking the welfare of the people um, because Nehemiah didn't tell them about the wall. He showed up and he was careful. He kept it a secret. He trusted God to complete his mission. He trusted God to provide for him, but he didn't do stupid things along the way. Does that make sense? Um, Going on, we're going to go through a lot of these verses here real quick. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and few men with me and i told no one what god what my god had put into my heart to do for to do for jerusalem there was no animal with me but the one which i rode by the way why would you only ride one horse or one donkey is probably what he was riding um if he showed up with like 30 animals people would have noticed right so he's one guy on an, on an animal, probably a donkey, because they were quieter. He's got a handful of guys with him. He's not taking the whole town with him. He's doing it at night because, um, well, Montana's a good example of this. You go out at night in Chicago, and you can still kind of see stuff, right? You go outside of, like, town in the middle of the night in Montana, what can you see? Like, pretty much, you know, the sky, and that's it. Like, it's dark, um, so he went out when nobody would see him. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the, uh, to the dragon spring, into the dung gate. And I the, inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. By the way, that was because the wall had buildings built into it. And when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the wall, the buildings went with it. And so this valley is full of half the town and a wall. And when he sees this, he changes his plan. The text doesn't say it, but we know from archaeology that instead of rebuilding the wall where it was, he cuts that part of town out and says, well, that's not part of us anymore. Let's not bother fixing that. And he builds a wall around it. Um, So huge disaster. He gets there on the donkey. He says, oh, can't get there. Then I went up. In the night, by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. Um, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing and had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were, there, who were to do the work. So now, who is he told? God. Yes, God told him, actually. And he's told no one else, not even the guys who went with him to look at the wall. Um, He's not telling anyone. He's going out and he's inspecting and probably praying, but he's not telling anyone, which seems like a weird decision if you're about to mount a building campaign, right? Um, Now, here's why. It's because he's being very, very clever. Um, When it finally comes time, then I said to them, he gathers folks up, gathers the leaders of the town and gathers them all up, presumably in the morning. And he says, you see the trouble we are in. He doesn't say, hey, look at how bad your town is messed up. He says, hey, guys, we're in trouble. The walls are wrecked. They're so wrecked over there. I couldn't ride my donkey there. Like we are in trouble, people Um, lumps himself in with them. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, and we may no longer suffer derision. All right, guys, let's go do this, and it'll make it right. People won't make fun of us anymore. We'll have a wall. It'll be great. Um, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they, were there, they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, it comes time to tell them, and he tells them, God told me to do this. That's right. God told me to do this, right? God sent me here to do this. This is God's job for us to do. Oh, and the king's on our side too, right? Um, which is sometimes not what we do. I'll tell you, when I talk about, my wife and I were talking last night, and, and she was saying something about like like my role as a husband and how I'm doing these things really well, and my response is, I'm only doing well because God is changing me. And when you look at me and you see me doing good things, you need to understand that's God doing good things and you need to look at him. Right? That is very contrary to my character. Like pastors and youth pastors even more, because I was a youth pastor before, we are an arrogant lot. It is an awful thing to say, but it is absolutely the truth. Right? We like to tell people how good we do. Um, I hate sitting down with other pastors because we start comparing How many people attend our church like we're comparing bench press, like we're teenagers in a gym saying, oh, I bench 300 pounds. Well, you don't. (laughs) Um, But like like there's pride that comes with it. And I'm going to tell you any good thing that I'm doing in my family is God. Any good thing that has happened in this church is you people and God. Got it. Like and the reason that that is true is because um, I really can't do good things without God's involvement. Does that make sense? I can't like resist sin without God's involvement. I'm really good at not resisting sin, believe me. Um, when we do right, when you grow, when you do right, this is a product of God's involvement in your life and Him like inspiring you to put effort forward and to grow. right? Um, it's not just instant. it's lean on God, look to God, do the work. Um, we're forgiven, mind you, by the way, we're not forgiven by our work. We're forgiven because God instantly makes us right when we come under Jesus. Like when we start following Jesus, he takes away our sin, he makes us holy, he makes us pure. But after that, the process of growing is is working, right? It's planning, it's praying, it's, it's picking our destination and working there, um, I, I, By the way, I said that. I learned it from Nehemiah. I looked and said, oh, hey, Nehemiah did this because he prayed for months, and he probably prayed for years and read the Bible for years. I talked to my wife and say, you know what? Anything good I'm doing is God because it is God. He doesn't also, by the way, point at the king because it's really easy to point at the things around us that make us good or mean that we can accomplish things, right? It is. You know, oh, you're doing great at this. Well, I have degrees, you know, well, you're doing great at this. Well, I am a man. Um, I, it, like, it's just not true. When we point to things we do or we point to our own strength, our own merit, and we're not pointing to Jesus and the work he's done on our behalf, we start getting lost. Um, growth in faith is fundamentally about learning to lean on him. And so as Nehemiah goes to build these walls... He goes in with a plan, but he goes in knowing that that plan is only successful if God is a part of it. And it's only successful if God is with him. And he knows it because he's leaned on him. And so when he tells these people, hey, God is with us, let's do it. And they're inspired because they're like, well, God is going to fix this, let's do it. Plus the king's on your side. Um, But when Sanballat the Honorite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant of Geshem, the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the King? Now watch this. It is no coincidence that they didn't know when Nehemiah told no one. And when he started telling people the enemy found out immediately, <laughs> you know why? Cause people can't keep their mouths shut. I know it's a small town, so that's a foreign concept. Um, but i I know that if I get a speeding ticket it 's only a matter of time before the whole town knows about it, or so i 've been told repeatedly um, <laughs> By the way, I got a speeding ticket, guys. It was in the paper um, <laughs> again, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, But check this out. The reason, I mean, so he keeps it to himself, but he keeps it to himself because them joining in was an afterthought, right? He was going to accomplish what he was going to accomplish because God's on his side. He doesn't tell them because he knows that there are people out there who are his enemies, right? He knows his enemies aren't going to get in his way, and we find that out here in a second because that's what he says. He knows his enemies aren't going to get in his way. He knows his enemies can't stop God. But he also knows that it's not smart to toss everything in front of them. Does that make sense? Um, I was thinking, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about snake handlers, right? I mean, not Montana farmers. I mean, like, if you go into Kentucky and stuff, there are these churches where they pick up snakes because the Bible says you'll handle poisonous serpents and they won't bite you. And so these guys gather in church every Sunday and they carry rattlesnakes around. And they're like, look, God's protecting me. And sometimes those people die from snake bites because... Just because I trust God is going to do something doesn't mean I jump in with the snakes, right? Um, By the way, which is one of the reasons why we do the work, I show up and I'm with y'all. I spend time with other believers. I pray. I ask for people to pray for me because, um, honestly, because if I spend all my time with snakes, I get in trouble, right? Um, You're right. Y'all are with me and y'all are family. Right? And we do things together because God is with us. Um, every once in a while, snakes show up, and they will, including me. Um, so, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So now, these guys, having written a letter to the king that stopped the building before, right, right? They say, oh, well, what are you going to do, rebel against the king? Because they're relying on their old win, right? And the response is, you know what? God's on our side. You've got nothing to do with us. You go mind your own business. We're going to do what we're going to do. They have nothing they can do about it because the king isn't going to side with them. And if they turned around and wrote letters to the king, what would the king say? Oh, that's Nehemiah. He's my best friend. I gave him permission. What of it? Do you have bad things to say about my cupbearer? And that's not going to turn out well. But Nehemiah does not throw out the king. What does he throw out? God's on my side. He can't stop us. He can't do anything. Um, An interesting thing here, they are mocking him saying, what are you people doing? You can't stand up to the king. You can't stand up to Persia. They're going to run you over. You need to quit what you're doing because they're trying to dishearten him, right? Anybody ever tell you you can't do something so you quit? Um, A few years ago, my brother and I were climbing Mount Rose. It's the tallest mountain in Nevada, I think, or something like that, or around Reno. And it's this 20-mile hike up to the top of this mountain. There's a long, long, long walk, right? And we started at the same time as this guy who had California license plates. And we walked all the way to the top of the mountain, and we passed that guy up forever ago. We sat up on top of the mountain. We took pictures. We spent some time talking, and then we started walking back down. It's not a good reason to climb a mountain, by the way. Um, About a mile down, we ran into the guy from California on his way up, and he was exhausted, and he hadn't brought water with him, it looked like, and he's dragging, and he looked at me. He's like, hey, is it much farther? And I looked at him, and without blinking, I said, oh, man, there was a landslide up there. There are signs you can't get to the top. And he turned around and started going back. (laughs) Because I'm a jerk. Don't do anything with me. Um, <laughs> and I stopped him and said, No, man, it's just a little bit further. You're almost there. Don't worry about it. Keep walking. And, and But, like, the guy had walked 19 miles, and I just told him, Oh, you can't get there. And he believed me. And he stopped, because sometimes we just assume if somebody says we can't do it, we can't do it. Ultimately, what makes it possible is God in us and us working. Um, and honestly, us working according to his plan. If I suddenly decided I'm going to be I'm going to be a marathon runner, and I'm going to be a gold medalist. I can't do that, right? I might try really hard. I might believe in myself. I might say, God, you're going to help me with it. But, like, I don't think that's in God's works for me. Like, it's not in his plan because, right? Like, (laughs) it's not a part of the equation. If God wants me to go somewhere and I'm going with him, nothing's going to stop me, right? But it's a part of the deal is getting where God is sending me and not where I want to go. And so he says, look, you can't stop us. What you say will not stop us because God is on our side. You have no right or claim in Jerusalem, no portion. And the phrase there means you are not a part of us. You're cut off from us. You're not a part of our nation. And what he's saying is true. And actually, he's successful in the end. Um, Actually, the building project is almost miraculous in how effective it is. But as we kind of get out of this section, as we go into chapter 3, first off, there are... um, In the back, there's Bible study handouts. If you want to study the text for next week in advance, you can grab them up. Um, There's like 10 of them back there. Um, But but as we kind of get ready to go out of here, as we finish up, watch this. Um, First off, Nehemiah had the faith to wait for the right time, right? Um, He trusted God that the right time would come and it would happen. Um, He had the faith to ask um, and he had the faith to stand up to the people who said he couldn't. And all the while, that faith happened because he was leaning on God. Because he prayed, he trained himself to trust God, he figured out where God was sending him, and then he set his nose to it and did it. But he didn't do it stupid. He did it smart. He willingly took on the work and was careful, knowing that God would provide, but there's no point in jumping in with the rattlesnakes. Um, as we go out of here, my challenge for you today, my encouragement is, first off, recognize um, Every one of you who is a follower of Jesus, who is in Christ Jesus, is made without sin. God has, like, made you into this new person and there's no sin in you. You will continue to sin, which is awful, right? Because we're still human and we're still affected by, like, the fall. Um, But our drive is to become more like him. And so as you go out of here, understand your job is not to build a wall. I read an article that said, when we read Nehemiah, we should recognize that the church should build a wall around itself to separate itself from the world. I thought, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Like, why would I do that? Um, Our job is not to build a wall. Our job is to become like Jesus. Our job is to grow spiritually. Our job is to help the people in our family and the people in our lives grow spiritually. And so as you go out of here, recognize you have a job. And that's a job that is accomplished through prayer and through work, and through like standing with people who are going to support the effort, right? Um, If you are not working at this, my challenge for you is to do it. Pray. Look to Jesus. Figure out how it is that you're supposed to be growing. Figure out where it is you're supposed to be growing. Most of us know exactly where it is, right? Because we try not to look at that part. Um, we think oh yeah I'm doing this and I shouldn't be or oh I'm ignoring this and I shouldn't be or oh this is something I worship and I shouldn't be worshiping anything but God Like, like we know what they are what is it God is calling you to grow past and become different in are you praying about it and like do you even believe he can fix it I talk to folks who get stuck in sin who say I cannot believe that God will help me overcome this I cannot believe that God will make this right I cannot believe and in the end like yeah, I mean, I'm sure that you can't do anything then. Um, the faith that moves mountains is faith that trusts God and goes in His direction. We're gonna close in prayer and um, gonna gonna uh, go out in the world and we're gonna we're gonna grow closer to Him. We're gonna take on the job He's given us. Heavenly Father, I uh, pray that You would be with us. Um, I pray that You would help us to um, to lean on You. I pray that You would help us to trust in You. I pray that you would help us to walk with you, Lord. Um, as we pray and as we set our eyes on the objective like of becoming more like your son, I pray that you would just, just give us hearts that would be made new. Um, help us to, to be honest enough to talk to folks around us that, that can help us grow and help us to lean on each other. Um, I pray that your spirit would just fill our lives and make us new. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to close with a blessing. i got three announcements real quick. Uh, so stand up and we'll do a blessing. Um, my announcements. I'm going to take my clipboard with me. If you have not gotten a chance to volunteer,